do you like not to steal a, a bit but do you remember no. the last movie you saw in a theater yes what was it for oh, you was it? for me um it was parasite at the pickford huh, what was yours Jango? do you remember yours i don't remember mine i bet i could um, check on my regal app it was fantasy island i think erica and i went to see that on valentine's day i think that was the last movie i saw in a theater Little Women was a movie. Nineteen Seventeen, oh, January tenth. Little Women yeah. was really good. Okay, January. Bad I mean, Boys I, for Life was January. I somehow missed <laughs> that one. I haven't seen any of them. Fucking coward. I can't. I can't refute that. I can't refute that. You're right. Gosh. Okay. So maybe Birds of Prey, February. Yeah. It's crazy, yeah. boys. Episode 208, it's a comic book show with a bunch of buddies who run a comic shop in Bellingham, Washington. Every Tuesday, we get a whole bunch of comics. We bring them to our shop. We, we do it all at home now. Actually, we do it all from our bedrooms is all, all that it is. Um, we record the calls from here. We Did you guys just hear that they did some sort of like quantum transport stuff? Did you all just hear that? Did well? they? Yeah. What does it do? I don't know. I was hoping somebody else knew more. Uh, the, okay, the scientists. The, the scientists did it. <laughs> Captain um, Adam, like like AIM. I think it was AIM. I think AIM <laughs> cool. did it. Sorry, I was hoping someone would be more informed than I am because I just derailed everything to have that conversation. But it was coming from a good place. It was coming from an idea of us quantum teleporting comics between one another. Um, is how we've been doing this from our homes, which is oh. that's the great ruse, everyone. We've been doing it uh, from our homes. Those homes are the home of Jeffrey, Django, and Roman. <sighs> What a crew. Um, God, I just keep coming up with Google reports for Quantum of Solace, but I think it's probably something else that you're talking about. Well, listen, we've got a pile of books here. We've got our classic bits that we're going to get to, you know, the classic bits. Oh, my God. Okay, so it's 2021. We took the week off. Thank you, everyone. Um, gosh. We made it back. How? So we've got, like, I guess a mixture of two weeks worth of books here right now because it was two. it was two weeks that made up one very large week. And we didn't get our comics on one of them. So like everything's mushed together in my head too. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a mess. It's a mess, everyone. But this week we're going to be talking about the picture of everything else. Number one, Lost Soldiers. Number five, Dark Knight's Death Metal, The Secret Origin. Number one, Doctor Doom. Number 10, Marvel. Number three, Batmanuel. Number five, x-men 16 and a number of other you know you know the, we got the mary marvel minute we don't know what's gonna come out of that that's what we love about the mary marvel minute and then my uncle's cooler than your uncle's underground power hour um power alley hour where uh where we're gonna we it's, you can't even predict what you're gonna know about that because no one even knows what that is yet that's, my uncle knows my, my well my uncle knows too and i bet he <laughs> knew before you um Roman? Yes, Jeff. Am I forgetting anything? Uh, were we going to do Ice Cream Man? Oh, that's what I was forgetting. I don't have it with me. And Ice Cream Man uh, 22? 25. 25. Good for them. 
And we're going to talk about something else, right? Iron Man, Doctor Doom. Oh, then not even a comic. And I think we're going to have a little discussion about Wonder Woman 84 as well uh, as the night goes on. So it's one of the nullified movies, I think. It got nullified. It's just I was trying to make a King in Black. (laughs) It's another King in Black issue, but it's a movie. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) and a tie-in to the summer block. Roman, that was good. I was just lagging behind uh, Wonder Woman 84, the tie-in to the summer event, the winter event, King in Black. Picture of everything else. Django, it was a very small week of comics. I decided to take all of mine home on the second week. You opted to do an alternative thing, which was the normal way of doing things, which is you read the week's comics when they came in. But of that first week, you had said the one particular standout, the thing that I should read was the picture of everything else written by Dan Waters, art and colors by Kishore Mohan. Lettered by Aditya Bidikar, a name we see more and more. Yeah. Well, okay. So I, I don't, I don't remember if I, if I told you that I thought it was amazing and you had to read it. I, I've been trying to just give you very flat recommendations lately. I, I don't like I, building I up your, like, I like you to go in thinking, is Django sabotaging me? Or did he think this was the best comic that's ever been created? Because uh, I've bitten you a couple times with that. Django, I, that is my preferred modus of just like you offer me a vanilla pudding often and have it sometimes be a hidden bowl of mayonnaise and sometimes be a creamy bowl of iced cream all right sometime in january you're gonna get you're gonna get a bowl of mayo oh god vanilla mayo for jeffrey but no i I like that just hey this is interesting check this out and be like okay let me find out what's interesting (laughs) is it it secretly very good or it's just very obtuse or um so anyway i appreciate that you know you you just said like the main book of interest that was interesting to me this week was this one it was yeah you just said it's interesting i don't know if it was an amazing book but i i just thought it was a comic that i haven't really read before i've read a lot of comics and i i always feel like here's this story again and i can like kind of categorize it and put it in an area and the setting for this is a pretty uncommon setting for me the horror and mysticism in it is not the same old horror and mysticism that I'm used to. The art is, uh, I think, really good. It, it looks, it reminds me a little bit of uh, Gabriel Ba, um, like a watercolory, a watery Gabriel Ba, if you know yeah, what I mean. Yeah, it looks, I can never really tell which of those twins is which, but it looks, yeah. it looks like those brothers to me for sure. I absolutely agree. Uh, as soon as you pointed that out, that clicked, and I like there's one particular panel that looks straight out of Day Tripper. Mm hmm. Yeah, I just I thought it was an interesting comic more, more than anything. Yeah, I did, I did too. The uh, and the, I just got to say the cover is just is beautiful. And I just realized it's a it's one of the characters in front of an easel with a ripped up bloody canvas on it. And I just realized that the background of the entire cover is that same canvas. It's in the same shape and rips and and tears, but with different stuff on it and these fingers coming out of it mm-hmm. to grab him. It's a really cool cover. <laughs> Man, I just Googled a picture of everything and got some wild images. Whoa. The, por- <laughs> the picture of every- portrait of pictures of everything. Is it the universe? <laughs> kind of. I anxiety to look at that. I liked the art a lot. I I for the first half of it I was like this is like missing me for some reason. And I was, I, I was feeling like it was, 
I was having a hard time knowing who was who. I think there was, it was a little mm-hmm. bit confusingly told for me that way. But then like halfway through, um, once I made some connections, I was like, you know, very like quite in. And then by the last cut, like the last two pages, I was like, oh, I did not think I was going to read the second issue of this. And I got mm-hmm. very interested. I love that there is like a time jump the thing that was confusing for me is there's like a letter writing mechanic that is within it. And I didn't feel like I fully met the two male protagonists at the beginning of this and fully got like who their names were. And I was just probably kind of reading too quickly, but then one of them, then there's a narration element where one of them is writing a letter to them, but it's like from the future. And there's this like third male that had showed up. We didn't know. I didn't know. So I, I, I had a very confusing bit of figuring out who was who but then once that became clear but the time jump that happens of after the dude has become the apprentice and he's going to be coming back to town and it's been like mm-hmm. three years i was like oh i am very interested in what that person's going to be like now yeah yeah it's it's set what 120 years ago right right at the turn of the century like eight, 1897 or something like yep. that i think 1899 yeah. is when he comes back yeah, and it's uh, it just kind of follows these obnoxious painters, these obnoxious artists who uh, kind of crash high society art parties and and steal the booze and and are just not cool. Uh, and then they they run into this guy who's sort of the famous, notorious uh, artist in town. And it turns out that that guy can paint a picture of you and tear the picture in half, and it'll tear you in half. And there's a gorgeous page turn there where he cuts the he cuts the paper in half and then you turn the page and it's a whole page of this dude getting torn in half yeah just i i thought it was good good intrigue good characterization like the, those guys i hated them but i kind of wanted to hang out with them for a night see that's what it was is that the, the story and i i said a similar comment at the beginning of rorschach number one which is stories that start with with this type of getting to know scene where like, I haven't really gotten to know them yet. And I get to know them sort of after an incident. I know it's not a terribly uncommon thing, but it can go either way for me. And in this situation, they were a little off putting and I was having a hard time kind of getting their motivations and wanting to be on their team a little bit. So, but then once it set in, uh, I dug it quite a bit, but I think that was just sort of like, um, I was still getting into the flow of comic reading for the week. And I, I, mm-hmm. I have to calm down a pretty hyperactive brain to get in there. And this was a slow book. It, it was, it was slow. I, I liked that Justin had come in and said like Roman, I, I didn't, he was like, I didn't finish this book, but I think Roman is going to really like this book. So it, it, there is a Roman quality to it. Can you talk to me about whether that's accurate or not accurate or just what you believe or feel about the preconceived notions of Romandom? I hated it. There wasn't any explosions. Except um, for the blood explosions. <laughs> Settle down, oh, oh, Jacob. Oh, you're right. You're right. Um, no, Justin was right. This is this. I did really like this. My problem with it was that I kept on uh, slowing down my reading because I kept on looking, Googling names to see if which characters were based on real people and which were amalgamations mm. of real people. Mm. And I finally, halfway through, I had to quit doing that because I was like, okay, I'm ruining the flow of the story because I'm stopping every other page. Or well, a lot of fun movies. thing to do, yeah. Well, it, it is. You know, I like, I love stories set in the actual art history of the art world and historical stuff. Um, and like one of the guys, the twins, Marcel Dupree, that name is based on a real name, except that guy was a um, 
uh, oh geez, he wasn't a he wasn't a painter. He was something like a mathematician or something, and hmm. his Dupree had a, an extra e on the end. Hmm. So I don't know why exactly he named this character after kind of after that, but not really. Just a big but the, fan of Yumi and Dupree. Yeah, and the one guy Alphonse. I mean, that's Oscar Wilde. It's based on Oscar Wilde, which is cute because the story, the Englishman that he ends up having to apprentice to, so he doesn't kill his buddy that Englishman actually is the guy in Oscar Wilde's picture of Dorian Gray. Okay. He's the fictional painter that, that paints the picture of Dorian Gray. So that, cool. that wasn't his only power in this story. Yeah. I yeah. like that. I, that. That gives it a whole new slant for me. Yeah. So it's a very interesting time period to be in. Hmm. And, and it's great. It's a good mystery. It's, and I like the art. I, li- I like the, the the weirdness of it. I particularly liked uh, the, I, I guess, you know, going into it, hearing several people mention like the portrait of Dorian Gray being, you know, tied to it. I, I had that kind of, I was waiting to see how that was going to unfold. And as the story was moving forward, I wasn't finding myself particularly compelled by the way that I was seeing it go into that. And I was very wrong because I just liked the way that the character, like it was, you know, sort of through guilt it was a motivated like the to be to become the apprentice for it like to stop his friend from being killed but he, but he also was like there was a selfish thing about it as well because like in the letters i don't know that part became very intriguing to me it's like the motivators for you know that occult mechanic to be introduced yeah i would i would while reading through it i would have given it like i was thinking like a 6.5 or a 7 but after about two-thirds of the way through and then particularly the final three pages and what they're setting up as sort of being the story was really interesting to me and i would i'd give it an eight by the end i give it an eight too eight also um i'm gonna give it i'm gonna give it a nine i i really dug it and i really like that mechanic where the what's his name is burning the pages for the killer and and the people who's he already killed through his paintings. Their corpses light on fire beneath mm-hmm. the earth, and there's just oh, I didn't notice that smoke That's and cool. steam rising from their graves. Dang, yeah. Roman, I didn't realize that. That's <clears throat> that makes those that one particular page make much more sense. Okay, so Lost Soldiers number five, Alish Cott and Luca Castellanguida did this one. This is the end of this series. The first page has a quote. There's two, as they've been doing, but the first one is, after trauma, the world is experienced with a different nervous system. And I love that. (laughs) What an amazing and accurate quote, I feel like. Um, Yeah. Yeah. That's actually a book I've always wanted to read. The Body Keeps the the Score. Brain, Mind, and Body in the Healing of Trauma. Yeah. God. I... This this would be my ten for the week, right? This or the thing we're gonna, a thing we're going to talk about later, Wonder Woman eighty four. No, Wonder I'm just eighty four. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I I read this issue and then I went back to just sort of like check to find a text bubble of how it was like where something had been mentioned, and I ended up reading the entire issue again. And I listened to the same, like the first three songs, the beginning of volume three of the Watchmen soundtrack. And it is like the best music for this series. It's just so grimy and plodding and apocalyptic and hellish. And what'd you guys think of it? I, yeah, I, (laughs) it's painful, but this, this is just this, the conversation this book has, I think is fascinating. I forgot yeah. to get my copy from Justin. So oh, this is you guys. Oh, oh, 
so Django's going through, you know, his own little personal trauma of not reading the last issue of. Bob okay. Soldiers. I feel uh, like I'm going to listen to you guys with a different nervous system now. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Don't well, worry about spoiling things. Uh, right now, I, I just got this image in my head of Django's nervous system, system like dancing around to, to chance. <laughs> it's a very strange image. <laughs> January 2, 2021. A nervous system dances to chance. The whole book is basically two parallel conversations. It's the really fucked up old dude who got kidnapped by the gang members down south at the end of the previous issue and his buddy who has stopped being a soldier 10 years ago. And it is both of them having a conversation. Our our main protagonist talking to the boss of this crime organization and the other guy having a conversation, what ultimately looks like to be just in a support group. And there's, <laughs> it is just, sorry, Roman, please. No, no, it's, like you're yeah it's so it's such an amazing comic this and especially this issue because yeah the his old buddy uh combat buddy who's in the support group and him just talking about trauma and the way he's tried to deal with it and and not let it take over his life contrasted with the other the other guy and i'm sorry i don't remember anybody's names who's who's captive now and is in this situation because he never dealt with his trauma and just kept it locked up and it's it's led him to here um and it looks like he's about to die and the dude in the support group is like talking to this support group and he's like you know and i it's amazing how much of my life is just managing you know my this whole thing now but i can get through it and it's thanks to you guys and we start to see what he's seeing at this support group and he's seeing the dead buddies from vietnam mm. the dude like his organs hanging wow. out and he's like talking to them but there's this line of dialogue near the beginning and it's the dude in the support group and he's kind of talking about i was terrified i said you know like to admit that i still hear these war drums and sort of just talking about the persistence of this war that they can never get rid of in it like what you do and did in that war rots you from the inside she says i was terrified i was terrified and if i told him and i don't think he did what they say he did i don't think he did that and then it cuts and it moves on you don't understand what they're saying there and I thought it was them referring to the the guy that our protagonist had hunted down and killed raping him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But in a just throwaway line, not throwaway, but like as this military dude is ultimately trying to recruit our just fucked up old murderer guy who's just lost it. He, that guy's, he's like, I'm doing my goddamn best. And then he just looks at me and says, you killed your wife and children. You dug holes in your backyard and you put them there. He says, you are an American and everyone from your country knows it now. And I think, I mean, that's got to be the line that that dude was referring to earlier and saying, I don't think he did what they say he did, which is wow. this idea of like, we don't realize that this dude has totally lost it mm-hmm. and he killed his wife and kids, which is why in the previous issue when he was there, there's just cockroaches and everything is overgrown. And they didn't leave. They didn't leave. And I just like, oh my god it it is the heaviest book and it's about trauma and ptsd and western imperialism in america and there's this scene of him flashing back the dude in the support group and he 
like one of his higher ups who's a black dude points to a helicopter that's flying away and they're talking about sort of the bullshit nature of america and there's an american Mm -hmm. flag and we zoom on it even further and there's a confederate flag of the south hanging (laughs) below that and it's like yeah and and the and the white dudes on that chopper are all just like looking at the other the guys in the other chopper who are all black and they're just you know grinning at them and it's just this one little commentary right there in the center of all this other commentary it's like jesus this is yeah like jeff said it's a heavy book <laughs> it's heavy but i think it's you know the probably the best book about war i've read in a really really long time um yeah especially the last the last few lines yeah the the way they end it and everything uh django it's it's awesome i don't roman you've you say what you've got but i don't need to say anything else because Django, you're gonna love that the end of that book it's 10 this is just a 10 for me yeah just uh, this is i'm looking forward to getting the graphic novel and rereading this all in one go because yeah it just it blows you away when the criminal cartel guy reveals that our quote-unquote hero murdered his family and and all that And, and apparently it was everybody knew it. He says that, you know, America knows what you really are now. So this was in the news and everything. Um, But the commentary about America and Vietnam and the roots of Mm. the roots of our country and the artwork, the flashbacks, there's like one page when it shows uh, the guys in their barracks in Vietnam um, and just the way they're drawn and various trying to sleep and that and sitting down. And there's one guy in the forefront that's, you know, gripping the sides of the he- sides of his head, and he's crying. There's no dialogue, nothing at all. It's just this moment there during the war. <laughs> this is it's, it's such a powerful comic. And your first, the first bit of that you mentioned of just the military dude when talking to our fucked up protagonist describes like America talks about Vietnam as because they keep saying it's like the moment the, the country lost itself and he's just like you Americans do that like you you talk about the past like it's this easy story where there's this problem and you can find that problem and offer yourself some sort of salvation or forgiveness for it but like he's like we do it here too but in a different way but just like that inherently western thing he's talking about like every border that you've ever drawn has been drawn in blood and it's it's just this story about like the way even Western thought um, looks at how to tell these stories, how to tell the story of the past when it is something that is so horrendous and you are so clearly a bad guy, just good God. It's, it's a, it's a, it's an incredible book. Yeah. Yeah. The way he says you Americans flatten the story, make ourselves look less bad. Uh, What was your score for it? Oh, uh, uh, this might be a multiple gooey duck episode for me because that's going to have to be a gooey. <laughs> you know, I think, I don't know if it's America specifically, but I think, uh, I feel like we've boiled a lot of things down to specific targets lately. Um, like Mitch McConnell is just an avatar of the, the larger evil in the government and 2020 it's not 2020's fault like 2021 stands just as good a chance at being just as fucked up as 2020 (laughs) but everybody's like oh 2020 i can't wait for it to be over and it might not be over until the year 2530 you know we've we've talked about how eager we are for all of these years to be over every year for the last like three or four it's yeah yeah (laughs) so yeah and it's not trump i mean trump sure doesn't help okay we need to get listen 
we got to not provide people with audio trip clips like that to extract from our podcast ever. Okay. If I, just the it's intro of this fault, podcast man. is just Django declaring it's not Trump. Um, it's also not Dark Knight's Death Metal Secret Origin number one, co-written by Ow. Scott Snyder, Jeff Johns, uh, with art by a whole bunch of people. Um, you know, we don't have to spend a ton of time on this, but Roman, you said this was your favorite of the death metal tie-ins. Yes, this is the, in my opinion, the absolute best of Dark Knight's death metal. And even though I haven't read most of them, I still declare this is the best one. I'm with you. <laughs> is it crypto? It's crypto, huh? It, it's crypto it's, stuff is it's crypto. The only reason I read this is because Jeff Johns was doing it. And and the, and the who's the main artist? Where's the artist page? Oof. Um, There's a lot of. Oh my god! Well, I I like the almost all these artists. I really like Francis Manipal, Jerry Ordway, um, Paul. PL, Pelletier, <laughs> yeah, Norm Raprund, all all these great guys, and it's I don't really know how it ties into Dark Knight's death metal, other than the fact that there's a bunch of heroes from different times and and worlds fighting the the troops of the Batman who laughs, I guess, or maybe it's whatever the shadow thing is. Is it like the shadow ultimate that's, version of the Batman who laughs? That's like the Batman who laughs once he's gotten Doctor Manhattan's brain, and you know become a conceptual idea uh, i don't know okay that's you got co- scott snydered yeah it's, it's, it's a cosmic scott snyder thing but yeah when i opened it up and saw that it's set on earth prime in 1984 i was like oh my god this is awesome so what is earth prime 1984 to you before <laughs> yeah um before before crisis on infinite earth the way dc explained their different worlds there's earth one and earth two or three blah mm-hmm. blah blah Earth Prime is was our Earth where superheroes only existed in comic books. That and that that was it. And every now and then, like there'd be in like Justice League in the seventies, uh, the writers and artists of Justice League visited Earth Prime accidentally because of some villain, and you know got to find out. Oh wow, our comic stories are are even bigger here. I was trying to remember, and, or if this was tying into the Kurt Busick Superman um, secret identity where there's the adopted kid by the parents who name him Clark Kent who starts to develop superpowers. I can't remember if that book is written oh. on Earth Prime. I forgot about that series. Yeah, I don't remember either what the premise of that was. And, hmm, boy, that's a good good question. And And this, as we find out in this story, this Clark Kent on this earth whose parents named him after the fictional Clark Kent during the crisis of infinite earths, he gets pulled into the conflict, finds out the multiverse exists and he, and he starts developing superpowers and he becomes Superboy prime called that because he's from earth prime. And did we know the origin for Superboy prime? Yeah. And is it that? Oh yeah. Yeah. They, I think they revealed that in, crisis on infinite earth that's like the original one yeah that's where he first appeared in that series i've never read that oh um i'm ashamed about it i bet jango's got the issues i'm only going to read it in an absolute edition okay oh i've got that i can i do i know (laughs) um so i was just thrilled to see that this is a earth prime story because we haven't haven't had one of those unless kurt busiek did one in years 
and I just like this character. He's a nerdy kid that's super into comic books and 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 likes this girl who who likes his comics too. At least likes the fact that he likes comics so much. And then he gets pulled into this conflict, and then he gets reunited with her. Yeah, yeah. And in the and in the middle, Crypto saves the day. And you know, I'm a sucker for Crypto story. What turned me on was flipping it open and seeing the Francis Manipal art, and that was uh, like Francis Manipal drawing Crypto the dog. And I was like, Oh God, I'm gonna need that. Gonna yeah, the pages that look like Steve Lieber to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It kind of does. Yeah, yeah. There's one sequence in particular is just where Superboy Prime actually pets him Crypto a little bit and. Just a nice. I mean, it's the first time maybe we've ever seen Superboy Prime smile. <laughs> yeah. So I didn't. I didn't. You know, having not read Crisis on Infinite Earths and not knowing much about Superboy Prime outside of, you know, what I know about Superboy Prime, which is like him punching through reality or the Source Wall or whatever is kind of like reset reality. It's what brought Jason Todd back from the dead and changed a bunch of stuff in continuity. But I'd have never known his origin or anything. So uh, I think it's a very charming origin that he was a comic fan and everything. Yeah, and it's a it's a it's a great tragic origin because he loved comic books and the DC characters, and then he's sucked into an actual DC conflict that he mentions that he was reading about at the time, um, because it's 1984-1985. And while he's in that conflict, he gains superpowers. This is all stuff that any comic book fan would love, except then. You know, the crisis wipes out his world and everyone he ever knew, the love of his life, his family. And he, he, and he becomes just a superpowered rage monster that then starts decimating the DC universe. I, I love that just given what, you know, the importance of one punch from Superboy Prime, what it's done in the past, I, you know, I, I, I don't know, love. I like that they do that here to the, sh- the shadow entity of the Batman who laughs. And to me, that yeah. seal feels like the climax of the, the, the death metal story. Um, so if, if that integral part of what ultimately death metal has got going on happened in this one of, you know, 10 one shots that came out, that's going to be a confusing read, but it all harkens back to when Final Crisis was coming out. Yeah, I did, yeah, I, did I liked not it. like this issue. You didn't? I no, I I really like the Jerry Ordway art a lot. Um, all the middle stuff that Roman likes. I don't know if I just don't have the context for it, or like I have zero love for Superboy Prime, and I've never read uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths, and I don't like his costume, and I don't like the Batman who laughs as a big, a big Peter Pan shadow, and uh, with with very few panels. I wasn't impressed. In fact, I was so grumpy that I was reading it by the end that when they when they did the homage to the death of Superman mm. with Crypto as Lois Lane, um, that didn't tickle me. And when Laurie pokes fun at DC for changing their release date to Tuesdays from Wednesdays. Um, I liked that. That just made me mad rather than <laughs> made me giggle. I, There's a lot I of think, meta stuff in this that I, I yeah. enjoyed quite a bit. And I think that if I had been swinging up as I read it, rather than nose diving into why am I reading this? Um, I think I would have really liked the end, but uh, other than the Jerry Ordway art and, and some of the, some of the crypto drawings, I was not into this book. I like that with a lot of this Scott Snyder stuff, I've kind of kept saying that like, it feels like he's making us get in a sandbox and play with his toys or just watch yeah. him play with toys that we like, but we don't get to play with. And this to me, it, it felt, and I think it's the, the influence of Jeff Johns co-writing this, that this felt to me 
Like it has that Jeff Johns heart. It had this crypto stuff. It had this like felt a little bit like he was playing by the rules of the DC universe for the first time in this miniseries. And I and I appreciated that. It felt more like he's honoring something that I also honor instead of saying like, you're coming over to my house and we're going to eat pudding and play with my toys and Cheetos. And I don't, I don't like a lot of types of pudding is my point. I'm going to eat the chocolate pudding and you're going to eat the <laughs> vanilla mayonnaise. <laughs> I don't even, if I brought up pudding twice on this podcast, wow, it's on my I mind. I don't remember another time. Yeah. I, I really loved all that meta stuff. And it's funny because I read this because of Jeff Johns and it was even better than I expected. I really hope that I'm really glad that Johns is writing more DC books now because oh. he, he stepped down from being the head, whatever. Yep. Yeah. whatever he was yeah so she now he's doing executive yeah so now he's writing more comics and i'm really glad because i think he's one of my favorite comic writers star girl's loss the I'm tv show s- i'm gonna say 8.5 it's still a death metal tie-in but i liked it i liked it quite a bit i'm gonna say six a grumpy and- six <laughs> um, roman and i'm gonna give it a 10 <laughs> <laughs> I, I would even give it a 12 if I could. Oh. If I could, Andrew, friend of the show. Um, something I never expected to see. A, a redemptive, happy ending for Superboy Prime. And it, it was just so cool to see that. Are you ready for the Omniverse? On, on the topic of things that were cool to see, Django, did you also read Doctor Doom number 10? No, I read oh. Iron Doctor Doom, the King and Black crossover. Okay, cool. Well, let's let's talk about both of these. Doom. Yeah, I, I read them both. Both written, written by Christopher Cantwell. I'm not sure if Salvador LaRocca did the art in the King and Black issue as well. Yep. Okay, he yep. did. Cool. I've liked their art in this for the most part, but I don't like their Doom mask because it looks like it's got like a big dog lip or something. Reminds me of like <laughs> a pug or like a Saint Bernard or whatever has like a big old jowly mouth, and I can't not like see a, it. Like a boxer or something. Oh, I, yeah, yeah, like a boxer. Yeah, I, I really like this issue. I thought it was a great end to the Doctor Doom series, which has been phenomenal. I'm so glad that we got a little bit of Kang in there right before the end because that's what I had hoped for. Um, this one, he ends up on a multiverse other planet and Doctor Doom's a really happy, good guy and he just makes our guy feel little and ultimately our guy kills him and then goes back to his reality and decides he's <laughs> never going to be compassionate again because he is a hard ass and it was way more eloquent and good than that. But given our time, that's your summary. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. You know, our doom realized, cause I don't think he was, he was, he was trying to trick the other doom. I don't think he was blowing smoke, smoke up his skirt. He, um, he, uh, oh, cause doom kind of does wear a skirt. Mm. Um, he was actually admitting that this other world and this, this other doom are better than he is. Mm-hmm. And, so, so of course he had to destroy him, <laughs> him and that entire universe. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> I love that the stone that that broke the camel's the straw that broke the camel's back, the stone that broke the glass house <laughs> was when he like makes fun of the outfit. He's like, even your ridiculous armor, and he's like, ridiculous, like <laughs> this is the best costume in the Marvel universe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, spins around. Yeah, I love the fact that, and this guy has all the, the other Doom, the good Doom has all these great Marvel uh, mystical and cosmic mm. devices. So our Doom grabs the ultimate nullifier and Fucks nullifies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I just think that this was a great end to a great series that I hope this is where they wanted to end it. And, you know, maybe it could have gone on 
longer. I would have loved if it did go on longer, but uh, I hope it didn't get cut short because it's so good. It just returns Doom to a place of intimidating bad guy power at the end. And yeah, yeah, and that was great. It's even got a great final cover because Doom on the cover is so imperious and glaring out his little eye slit slits at the reader. It's great. It's got, it's got too, too much of that front lip panel still for me. It's just too much wolf going on there i need it is I'm, funny yeah he has he has lock jaws uh yeah it's like lock jaw doggy mustache <laughs> yeah i just far uh, far for richards i realized that in issue nine and i couldn't <laughs> stop seeing it. i think it was just with the laroca La stuff but i would give this end to this series a nine i thought it was really really good yeah i'd agree with that and well, you guys iron, tell me about the other one yeah uh king and black iron man and dr doom book is a one shot christopher Cantrell. look <laughs> Can't read well. well. (laughs) (laughs) Christopher Cantwell, Salvador LaRocca, and Guru EFX. Has there always been EFX? Mm, I I don't know. I don't know. I thought it was Guru FX. Anyway, um, they go up against an evil Santa Claus zombie monster. (laughs) And it's really good. (laughs) It really is. I loved it. Um, I read it about a week after Christmas, and that's fine. It was awesome anyway. Um. I, I don't have anything. <laughs> I forgot yeah. that would probably hurt you to do. Well, it's, it's also weird. Like you get you get saturated with Christmas, and then Christmas is over, and then you get the Christmas issue. I, yeah. Uh, not. It it is weird. Yeah, I read, sure. I, liked it. I read like three Christmas comics today. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I listened to Christmas music today while I was setting up for this podcast, and I was like, "Is it okay that I'm doing this?" And I was like, "I'm doing it." Think about like Bob Dylan recording his Christmas album probably in like july this was a really funny issue which surprised me because i guess i just wasn't expecting cantwell to to uh to be funny but doom has some great lines in here where he's just kind of slamming on stark and and some of his lines when he's attacking the the uh the null possessed santa if this is really santa because he's doom is yelling things like have at the freakish flying venison when he blast his blast his reindeer <laughs> oh and the santa when he's screaming out lines and like i forget where it is but he's screaming out lines about experience my pain deer <laughs> yeah <laughs> i think he's been consistently hilarious in this dr doom book like between kang and him like i just mm. i think that cantwell has demonstrated a really great sense of humor throughout it yeah, Santa's singing "Violent Night, No Moonlight, All Is Null, All Is Blight," <laughs> uh, and yeah, at the end when he's like Victor, one of the naughtiest to have ever lived, <laughs> and Doom's like, "Oh, you're the rightful ruler of the North Pole." Well, well, period. We've slaughtered your antlered avian herd. You must procure a new method of transport. <laughs> Love it. I'd give that issue an eight. I. I uh, Christopher Cantwell could probably do some wrong, but I haven't seen him do it yet. Yeah. That's cool that that is just kind of a Christmas one shot sounds like. And also the immortal Hulk one was just kind of a Christmas one shot. The King of Black tie in like weird. So it must be Christmas time. Like King and black must be set at Christmas time, I guess. I guess. I don't know why about that till June. Yeah. And both of them, it was cool that, yeah, the Noel stuff is King and black is the setup for the issues, but they're not really important to the issues at all. Oh, did you give it a score, Roman? Uh, did I? Um, I think 
You can just say, uh, yeah. Eight, eight and a half. Okay. Sure. <laughs> um, yeah, I did. Um, okay, Roman, you might have to talk me down from hyperbole here. Um, I didn't read any of the non-Sinkevich stuff in this issue. Oh, but Marvel. Marvel number three is, well, if you're a Sinkevich fan, go buy this right now. It's worth it. It belongs in a big blown up book. You will not regret it. It's an important piece of the Sinkevich lore. It is the watcher telling the biography of Bill Sinkevich as illustrated by Bill Sinkevich talking about why human beings are propelled towards drawing art. And it is the art style advances more complex the further it goes through oh, like he's wow. a little kid showing it and he's like a scribbly little hand with a crayon and as it goes through it progresses in an advancing style over these like 16 panel pages for and Django do you have it with you no I, I didn't bring okay. that one home okay I, we awesome. ran out you ha- this one is this one's for you it's got an amazing final page that I won't spoil that you're gonna love but it is incredible it's it's got all these pages where it'll show like you know him having been introduced to comic art and it'll show like pictures of thor and then his childhood drawing of the cover of Man. thor do you think that's actually his childhood drawing i, sure I hope so i hope so or you know recreations but this is it's talking about the moment where he realizes this is what i want to do with my life um this amazing scene at the end near the end of you know, like kind of, it doesn't expressly say that he's talking about little Bill Sienkiewicz, but he's talking about this boy and then it has this beautiful shot of, I think, Uatu's head and it's this hand drawing it to indicate that it's about the boy drawing Uatu narrating the story. <laughs> and it is just one of the best things that's come out in quite a while. If you're a Bill Sienkiewicz fan, which I am, and I became mm-hmm. even much more of a Sienkiewicz fan having talked about him with Django for so long, because Django's a big fan, so you will love this. This is this is a, an important part of, I think, the Sienkiewicz workbook. Man. Yeah, that yeah, cool. that, that one Sienkiewicz story here in the comic, that alone is, is more than worth a 10. Yeah. Um, I don't know what else I can say about it. Jeff, I totally agree. This is an amazing story and it does deserve to be blown up bigger. And the other stories, you know, the black, there's a black widow, the original golden age, black widow story um, with, with her who actually, she lived in hell. There's a story of her and the red skull that she forces the red skull to marry, marry her. Cause he's an evil Nazi. And that was fun. Um, the art's cool. I forget who it's an artist. People would know, I think, um, Heshka? Heshka's the only name. Yeah, I, I recognize the art style, but I, I can't place it. Yeah, it's like almost like that weird internet tattoo art type. It looks like tattoo art or stuff you'd be seeing on webcomics. Yeah, or yeah, Ryan Heshka. I don't know that name, but yeah, the art looks familiar. And the first story is a fun story. It's just Golden Age, Namor, an adventure of his back when occasionally he was a wisecracking character and it's just a fun Namor story that he's telling to Captain America in modern time and they're buddying out like two World War II buddies and it's, it's just cute. But the Sienkiewicz story is worth the price of admission. So everyone, yeah. we, I don't know, this issue's got to go to Django and I, I think it was the final shelf copy except for the one Roman has actually and I'm not sure if he's but keeping this one. But... Well, no, this one's earmarked for William Waters. Okay, cool. Well, they might all be claimed but uh, we might, might be able to order them. some more. Yeah, so everyone, if you are interested in it, if you're a Bill Sienkiewicz fan, I think that it is 
an incredible bit of incredible bit of comic booking. He does it every time. Yeah. Django, will you take Batman well away? Take away Batman well. <laughs> Batman well and you well, number five. Uh, this is James Tynion the fourth. I don't really feel like being playful with his name anymore. He doesn't deserve anything <laughs> from me. I I like, had to read a James Tinian the Fourth written Batman annual about the origin of Clown Hunter because it was for illu- us. because it was illustrated by James Stoko. Like I I thought this was pretty good. I didn't think I like the story is fine, but the storytelling is really good in here. Um Stoko is just a spectacular artist and uh even even like some of the dialogue was pretty good when in in the beginning uh leslie Tompkins is walking home down crime alley what does anybody fucking want down crime alley still what are you doing there <laughs> you fools and somebody tries to stick her up with a knife and then this uh big big hulking homeless dude named henry stops him and i liked henry's dialogue it was um not well, he, he's not a well-spoken person and maybe he's got like uh like a russian accent or something but he's i like that i like everything else i liked about this was the art like the, the rest of it is pretty standard kind of come on man don't be a bad guy be a good guy batman wants you to be a good guy and batman doesn't care about me but he wants you to be cool man and some kind of like heavy-handed um psychology trickery to get clown hunter to engage with her um but the art is just i give the art a 10 in this book yeah the art's absolutely incredible and it's not poorly written it's like i i was gonna i started it doing the thing where i was gonna just try and tell the story to myself through the art Mm -hmm. and there are scenes that i found myself reading the text in and not yeah, I mean, at this point, I, I can really not attribute my dislike of the Batman run to anything other than sour grapes. Um, but I will stick by these sour grapes. And uh, I'm only going to grade the art on this. I give it a 10. <laughs> Django, that's right. It's just sour grapes, really. And, and just that, like, I just... Things that are just fine really bother me. I'd rather you be yeah. a thing I spectacularly don't like. Just like banal things really bother me. And that sucks. Yeah. And that's a me thing. But um but yeah, it's just on the art alone, it's 10. Absolutely. Give me more. Yeah. And if give me a know, different if, writer though. If Jimmy TIV had followed up the end of Scott Snyder's run, I think we probably would have been more excited about it. Oh, yeah, yeah, I think so. That's a good um, point. Um probably even more excited about the beginning of Tom King's run, honestly. Yeah. You know, because the beginning of Tom King's run was not not super exciting or compelling, and I think this would have this would have been a bigger shot out of the cannon. But whatever, ten for the art. That's as good as I'm getting. And you know what? I don't ever know. You know, I didn't like you. That was a good point as well. I didn't really know how much I liked the Tom King run at the beginning. I don't know what I like. You guys just shove it into my mouth, and I'll take it. <laughs> And uh, and I'll know uh, thirty issues in if it's a thing that I'm in love with or not. Hang on, I'm I'm telling Jimmy to keep doing it, keep Ugh. shoving it in your mouth. Jimmy doesn't care; he's just shoveling it in, and it doesn't matter. <laughs> um, really great guy though. Uh, X Men really in a mustard plug. In- <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> That dude loves ska bands. That guy loves ska bands and clogging. He can clog up a storm in a mustard plug mosh pit. 
Um, Favorite band? All. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 He wanted to write a whole Batman story that uh, mirrored the origins of the band Streetlight Manifesto. He was really into <laughs> at the time. I was almost a roadie for Real Big Fish, but then I started writing <laughs> comics. Dude loves ska bands and clogging. I don't understand the overlap. Hey, um, Clown Hunter. See the thing over there? Pick it up, pick it up, pick it up. Because <laughs> um, uh, ska bands say pick it up a lot. Oh, X-Men yeah. number 16 by Jonathan Hickman and Phil Noto opened this and I was like, oh, it's not a good artist. And I looked at the title and I was like, wait, it's <laughs> Phil Noto. That is a good artist. What what has happened? And yeah, Justin said a similar thing of in, Phil, Phil Noto's interior arts are not as great as his covers. Yeah, it's almost like uh, rushed. It's It's rushed for sure. Yeah, like like the rushed version of uh, Wicked and Divine Guy, McKelvey. Yeah, yeah. He he has a bit more of a watercolory style, and a lot of his other stuff, like that Black Widow run that he did. I forget who wrote that, but like, you know, he's cool. He can do some great interior artworks, but this seems uh, pretty rushed. <clears throat> like they just needed an artist out there. The main thing I wanted to say about this is that if you fell off X Men reading Ten of Swords or we're on the fence beforehand, or if you're just behind, I think this is a pretty good jumping back on point or, you know, you can skip 10 of swords and, and you're going to be fine right here. And mostly, I yeah, I was bringing it up to Django specifically. Yeah. There's even a line in here that I think Magneto says, it's like, well, why do we do this whole tournament and all the swords and everything? Why did any of that matter? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It didn't. Um, Somebody mentioned it the other day, it was on another podcast or something, but they were talking about how Saturnine felt like uh, Loki, like the X-Men's Loki. I could see that. The X of Swords, just like setting you up for, for a gag. Yeah, I could Which see that. Which is what Jimmy TIV is doing for you. <laughs> like setting me up for a gag, like he's hanging me. So Django, mm-hmm. I, had a, I had a thought that, I, that has occurred to me while reading this run that has felt like a particularly Django thought, and I'm just wondering if it's occurred to you. There has been shots in this run where it shows like the Arakan, the Arako, Arakoan Council, or mm-hmm. the, the Arako sort of face as it's like when it's taking up a big wall in the same way that Krakoa does. And I just thought, like, we've really been projecting this current modern only existed for a year visualization for how Krakoa would look mm-hmm. onto a country or like a different version of that island that has been separated from it from like a hundred or something years, even down to like when there's the infographic visualization of the governmental structure that Araco mm-hmm. has in this one. I was like, that's you know, it's a pretty similar type of governmental system in terms of like division of three components of three separate branches. Like, yeah, but the, but the, uh, Arakans kind of poo pooed the Krakoans for their silly little child government mm-hmm. at the same time, even though they look fairly similar in structure. Yeah. Not really going to the story too much, of, but just like, or even the way that like the Arako face, I don't know if it was in this issue, but in a different one, it, it shows, shows itself as like being like this and like mm-hmm. that's a new look for Krakoa. I, I don't know. I just, uh, it, you know, when you, we, you're, when you're out in an alien race out there and you encounter somebody and their name is Ted also, and you're like, you have an earth name and you're from an entirely different planet. Yeah, vulture droids. I, Fuck I just you, feel Star like Wars. these cultures should be way different considering they were separated by a hell dimension generations ago. 
I did like that they went into the okay. fact that like their language is so separate for that very reason that they had to have Cypher act as an intermediary. I thought that was a cool yeah. bit. I wonder if the Krakoan face is presenting itself like that because of the way that Cypher is translating. And as far as the like the culture stuff goes, did the X-Men come up with the Quiet Council structure or did Krakoa lead them to that do we do we know how they decided on that in the end of house of x they talk about doing the whole governing thing like creating the, the branch of the four different seasons and the three different games. however in that one interview on cartoonist kayfabe with chris claremont where i think he accidentally spoiled the long run of this whole x-men run mm-hmm. um you know he says something similar to an implication that you just made so i I, you know i think that there maybe is something there and that's why Mm -hmm. it's being i don't want to spoil it for other people i think marvel entertainment's got to listen to that and if he spoiled the hickman (laughs) run they need to take that interview down the the thing that i got so aside from like the two islands kind of reaching out and touching each other and then deciding that they don't want to keep fucking right sure and the I don't. I don't know who this lady with the sword is. Is that Saturnine? No, that's the, the gold lady with the sword from that's Morocco. One of meth, the Moroccan, a meth fighters. or something like that. Okay. Yeah. Um, like her kind of just tell him to stay, stay away. I think that the big takeaway from this issue is that Cyclops and Jean Grey want to reform the X Men. Definitely. Um, and the the even more important thing for me was that this election poster was clearly designed by Hickman. <laughs> and I want to know what Hickman's doing on the island to make these posters. And does he go to Kinko's or is it like Arako's? I like that. Krakoko's. No, Hick, Hick, Hickman's a mutant too. That's what he's doing there. And his power oh. is to produce these graphs and, and graphic graphic beauties. <laughs> I really like it. I like the idea of them having an X-Men and then having it be a thing that's voted on by the people and, mm-hmm. you know, get a little politics yeah. in there. Yeah, that, that's cool because that's going to cause all sorts of chaos. And sure is. Charles. Is chaos one of the mutants? Probably. Havoc, I guess. Probably. Uh, I give it an eight. I give it a... Gosh. I give it a seven. I, th- I think it's pretty good it's pretty dry for an for a comic book but but it does it really well what's that they haven't i mean like his issues are pretty dry right in this run very very much so it's it's a really interesting thing because i do enjoy it and i've read i think i've read every issue except the ten of swords Swords. yeah Yeah. seven I, i can't go more than that but it's a it's a solid seven yeah, and I think I'll give it a seven too. It is, it is interesting that it's Hickman is such a good writer that, like something that is incredibly dry when Cipher is talking about the difficulties in Krakoa's language and Arathos' language and why these different things in, involved in linguistics, these phrases Cipher is using and stuff. I'm thinking, wow, tell me more about this. I'm like, oh my god. That's one of the driest subjects I can think of, but it's fascinating. Yeah. It's like how Tolkien wrote the Lord of the Rings books partly so he could write these languages down that he had invented (laughs) in his, in his spare time. Yeah. (laughs) 
We're all just trying to get it out. Hey, Django, take me to your uncle's basement and let him play pinball for me. And he'll <laughs> sit there in the corner smoking weed inappropriately because I'm just a kid. <laughs> well, I'm going to start with a bummer. Oh, no. It's uh, Dark Knight's Death Metal, The Last 52, War, War of the Multiverses, uh, one shot, number one. And this has like five or six different short stories of people at the end of the, the DC universe. It's, there are two pretty good ones. One is Lois confronting a bad guy, superwoman thing, and the chick throws Lois off of the daily planet and Lois concentrates on not speeding her heartbeat up and not screaming so that Superman won't come help her because he's got more important shit to do then. So like Lois kind of commits suicide so that Superman won't interrupt his, his very important work. Um, and then there's also a story in here by, um, uh, Guillory, Rob Guillory, written by Matt Rosenberg about John Constantine versus bad guy John Constantine. And every single panel of that is hilarious and brilliant. But the rest of the story, all the rest of the stories are just chock full of like the worst cliches you've ever read in comic books. Like we are all Superman and no, I didn't see you there. Sure is shooting. And like every single bad line you've ever read in a comic book has been jammed into this sack of shit. So get it for the Constantine, weather the lowest story and try not to cringe too much for the other ones. Um, Let's see. I read Sea of Sorrows, number two. Nice. Even better than the first issue. This Duk and Cormac team, these guys are good. Uh, they did the... Uh, the Road of Bones. Road of Bones. Roman Bones. Yep. Roman's uh, that Bones. Was excellent. I also really like King in Black, number two. Um, probably my favorite large crossover that I've read in a long time, but really I'm just reading the core story. But these... These ones so far feel the most self-contained out of all of the larger crossovers that I've read in a long time. Uh, and that might just be me being okay, being ignorant about what's going on in the, in the rest of the books. Uh, Dark Tales from the Dark Knights. Oh God. Tales from the Dark Multiverse. Dark Knights Metal. Number one was not fun at all. And uh, I really enjoyed Family Tree number 10. Jeff Lemire and Phil Hester. It's crazy that the the King and Black thing that you say, you know, it's like pretty well self-contained. Even the tie-ins that it have are Christmas books. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, and I like that too. <laughs> I do too. I love it a lot, but it's like the strangest thing that's ever happened with the Marvel event. It just kind of out of nowhere, all of the one shots that tie in are Christmas books. Well, okay. So remember there were a handful of those King and Black tie-ins that they resolicited they were supposed to be tie-ins to something else. It was Empire, but that would have been the summer, so it couldn't have been Christmas. Who the fuck knows? Like, I wonder how many of these are just file stories, and they're like, okay, just draw more black on that guy. Make, make that Santa look goopy so he can be in this uh, king and black thing. Okay. The Constantine story... Is particularly good. ...is a 10 out of 10. Like, 
I was laughing. I was I was feeling Jacob, feelings. None of those like, were particular indie underground powerhouse. You know, like you're doing the kids a favor. Like, dude, our sales for this last De- Dark Knight's Death Metal, the last fifty-two War of the Multiverse is number one. <laughs> can't be much higher than Sea of Sorrows number two. Oh, you did say Sea of Sorrows. <laughs> hey, Roman. Yeah. Hey, hey Roman. <laughs> Sorry, sorry, I was looking at uh, Ice Cream Man number 25. It's time for Roman's Mary Marvel Minute, which should include Ice Cream Man, because we haven't talked about that yet. My bad. Oh, oh, oh my gosh, I got so much in my Mar- Mary Marvel Minute. Okay, um, well, I'll start the timer, and when you 59, get to five, 58. that's when we have to cut it off. <laughs> all right, all right. Well, uh, did you guys read King, King Size Conan number one? Negative. The 50th anniversary of Conan and, and Marvel Comics. This was a this was a real solid comic. Um, there's like four stories, five stories. They're each set at different time in Conan's life, and the first story is by Roy Thomas, and it actually is a prelude to his very first Conan story by him and Barry Windsor Smith um, back in 1971 or whenever it was. And and the art it's Steve McNiven, but he's doing his best barry windsor smith mm. i mean i mean it's uncanny how close it is wow. <laughs> to smith style it's and it's a great story there's a the first two stories in here the second one is by um kurt Busiek, and it's good the third story is by chris claremont um oh and the fourth story is by kevin eastman so it's just a really solid book uh i give it at least an eight and you know power pack number two? Oh god <laughs> This this is a fun series. It's by Ryan North, right? And it's just, it is just a fun series. It's it's not quite as as fun as his Squirrel Girl, but it's almost. It's like two steps below. Star Trek Year Five is still a great series. This one gives the origin of Gary Five and, or Gary Seven, sorry, and Isis. And if people are Star Trek fans, and they're they're. Uh, it's great. You finally get their origin after power 19, since 1966. The terrorist group or the Bob Dylan song? Neither. ISIS is his, uh, like the companion, if he was Doctor <laughs> Who. Um, she's a woman, but she's also a cat. Oh, the Bob and, Dylan and, you, song. and you know, I read Werewolf by Night number three. I've been complaining about this series. It's it's starting to pick up. The, the, middle, of this oh. one, the middle of this one has... Uh, a two-page spread by Jeffrey Varege, Varege, oh, right. that that um, oh, yeah. explains the um, in in that whatever tribal version of art this is explains the story he just told to another character that one character tells to another, and it's really cool. Um, and Usagi Yojimbo, Wander Wanderer's Road number two. This is the series that reprints. Stan Sakai's originals, Usagi stories, but in color. Mm. This one was great. It's a story I never read. It came out in the eighties and it's just, it's just uh, shocking the ending um, and very, very su- surprisingly serious for that early in Usagi's comic book career. Question. Yes. So these are reprints of the original stuff, but in color. And I assume you've read some, if not all of them. Um, how do you feel about it being in color? The new stuff's been in color, and I feel like maybe it was just me, or maybe all of us had sort of felt like it being in color like didn't necessarily benefit it. Um, and I'm just curious, what do you feel about it seeing this original stuff reprinted in color? Um, 
you know, I, I, I pretty much feel the same way. It's like, oh, okay, it's in color. Um, okay. I don't know. You feel like you lose I, any? Yeah, I never read this particular story before, but I couldn't, I don't notice anything in it that it would suffer by being in black and white. And how did you feel about modern colors on a fake Barry Windsor Smith? Because that panel that you just showed us, the art looks awesome. The colors threw me for a second. Yeah. It looked like Steve McNiven colors to me through my horrible Zoom app. Yeah, um, but like Barry Windsor Smith's colors, like he, he didn't really do anything modern. Yeah, so seeing they, modern colors on that style seems like it might be mm-hmm. jarring for someone as uh, well-versed in the BWS as uh, uh, RFS. Well, it's interesting. Roman yeah, fucking I, Statler. I, I wasn't able to put my finger on it, but as that being what was a little jarring, but yeah, I did notice reading it that it was like something was a little off, and I think that was it. The colorist, mm-hmm. by the way, is uh, Ive, I-V-E. Sorcina. 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 Yeah, that's the colorist for Isad Ribic and um, Jerome Pena often. But he did a lot of the <laughs> Thor run. Yeah. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, and did Jason he Aaron. come up with the uh, Schwarzschild's crystals? Yep. Okay. <laughs> that's how you make a lightsaber. I'm reading. <laughs> I'm reading Heir to the Empire right now. No. Oh, yeah. Um, okay. So that that. That kind of puts us here. We did a thing, right? That's that's if you you guys talk about ice cream man. I read it. Ice cream Christmas man themed. <laughs> yeah, another another Christmas issue. Oh fuck yeah, I love a Christmas. <laughs> I really want to believe that the guys at you know at Marvel with their their one shots tying into King and Black, their Christmas one shots and this one shot. I want to believe that all these comic book creators and companies were just like you know. It's been a really tough year. Let's just have some nice Christmas issues to, mm-hmm. to, to send the year off. And then the team at Ice Cream Man said, let's have some not nice Christmas issue to send the, <laughs> the year off. Well, that's what I thought. But this ends, this ends very nicely. And it's even a, you know, a, I, I didn't think I'd ever see this in a comic book. It's even a, a, a um, shout out to support Planned Parenthood. Yeah, so it, it follows a girl who finds out that she's pregnant, and like every day, in, every every page is a different day in her advent calendar, and so it's just her going through the decision of whether she should keep the baby or terminate it. And yeah, it was it was it was really well done. Um, it felt like maybe the only ice cream man story that I've read that felt like it had an, an agenda beyond unsettling you. Um, and I, I don't think that, I don't think I would say that that's bad. It just kind of stood out to me that the other ones are just to creep you out. And this one felt like it was a little more of a, not even really a morality tale, just, just something that had a, a larger real world point. Yeah. Yeah. It, 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 and it really surprised me because right up until the last page, I was expecting some horrible, um, gruesome twist. Yeah. And it, and it's not there. <laughs> yeah, he didn't even put the usual uh, number of spiders in here. He swapped them out for ducks. Oh, thank God. I can handle ducks. And, there, <laughs> and, there, and there's a little, there's even a skeleton at one point in one of the panels that has um, glasses on it. And I was thinking, is that the body holly washed up rock and roll dude from earlier oh. issues? I'll bet skeleton. it is. 
Yeah. So there's all the little little cute things like that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what I don't know what's going on with the ducks, but just another good comic. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'd give this one. Man. I'd give this one a ten just for you know. Good God. Telling readers to support Planned Parenthood. That's pretty ballsy for a comic, I think. It is. There's just been so many tens. Andrew Carlson, I've titled an episode recently about like the most ten- gooeys I've ever seen. Andrew Carlson, I need to find out what episode has had the actual most tens ever recorded on it. That's what we need to know. Uh, I'll give this one an eight and a half. Not a ten really? from you. Not a ten, but um, it's just another good fucking ice cream man story. You know, and the real horror is the anxiety of being pregnant, Jeffrey. Yeah, 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 that was handled real well. And there was a funny thing I didn't get at first when she's having a dream because she's taken some uh, melatonin gummies Ooh. or something. Um, yeah, and those those give you fucked up dreams. Yeah, they do. Um, and and she's dreaming about these ducks that have replaced her family. And I didn't get it at first because there's the usual ICM initials on things in the background all the time and everything but when she's having the duck dream her dad comes out and he's got a duck head and he's wearing a, a apron that has a icd on i heart icd i heart icd and i didn't clown and I, duck i didn't get it at first i was like oh ice cream duck <laughs> yeah i thought it was ice cream dad uh and yeah, i puzzled yeah, over it for a minute but yeah you you uh, you're right on that's hilarious <laughs> Ugh. yeah good stuff you got to read it jeff oh i will absolutely this, this i, I actually think read. that we maybe don't have didn't have shelf copies of that one. Oh, okay like well, I, I, well we've got one coming back here so. sweet cool i definitely definitely will you. read that that first you know, the, issue is worth a ton of money wow yeah blew me away when i saw it the other day how much I feel like I saw one for a couple hundred bucks, but Holy that might have been shit. like CGC okay. 9.8 Moving on, I can't think about it. <laughs> I can't think about how much money we don't make collecting things. All right, I bet you have the issues. Some of us do collect issues, Jeff. Yeah, never mind. Sorry, you're right. You're, you're making investments in your future. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I remember when we got Walking Dead number one, and I didn't even read it because I was like, yeah, another zombie book. Who cares? Uh, so, yeah, a lot of other people. Well, hey, I, we all watched Wonder Woman 84. I finished move, watching that movie and I was like, I liked that quite a bit. And then the next day I talked to Django about it and I walked away from that conversation like, yeah, there were a lot of holes in that movie that for some <laughs> reason I just didn't really notice at all after sort of a general enjoyment of it um, that night. But I guess it was the day after Christmas. So I was, I was feeling pretty good. Um, Roman, what were your thoughts? Uh yeah, the same. you know, I finished it and I need to watch the first Wonder Woman movie because I had the same feeling after the first Wonder Woman movie where I was like, well, there was a lot of weak moments in that and a lot, a lot of plot holes, but I really liked other parts. And the same thing with this one. The weirdest thing, thing was it felt like, like a two-episode extended like compilation of two episodes of the 70s TV series. Mm-hmm. And I don't think they did that on purpose necessarily. <laughs> and you know, the series wasn't that good. I I watched it with just me on Christmas night and walked away mad. And then <laughs> the next day I watched it with Erica and she found a lot of things to like about it. 
There were a lot of uh, high heels and sweaters. <laughs> uh, she was a big fan of some of the dresses, some of the skirts, uh, the hair. She liked the hair a lot. It's like there was a fanny pack thing. There was yeah, a fanny I, pack. I really yeah. liked the fanny pack thing. <laughs> yeah. And what that made me think was that this movie was A, not made for me, and B, could have leaned into its 1984 nonsense a lot more and been a lot more entertaining to me. Um, Roman, were you were you saying on Facebook today that Cobra Kai is super cheesy in eighties, and if Wonder Woman would have let the Cobra Kai people do the movie mm. set in the eighties, it would have had the right tone. I think no, no, but I think I liked the statement of whoever said that. I think it was Will, William Elmer. Yeah, oh, yeah, I Will Elmer. Love that guy. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I think I think it could have been a lot better if they had just let it be dumb instead of trying to to like. They, they, they made it dumb and then they did a pass to make it realistic. Like they, re, they, they did a script edit to make it better. And I think that made it worse. Yeah. 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 Like the tone of having the two villains. I mean, the Max Lord, uh, what's his name? The Mandalorian as Max Lord. He was great as a cheesy 80s villain, but then it mm -hmm. didn't make sense to have Cheetah, who was kind of a serious villain, especially with her backstory. And they just didn't go together. Maybe they just needed another hour to really do it. <laughs> so I had like, I thought the moment with the invisible jet, I really liked. So I guess I echo Roman's feeling of I walked, I, I kind of felt about this one, about the way I felt about the first one, which there was enough moments in the first one and this one I felt like that hit a high note for me that it made me pretty find overlook what were like it was just sort of like as soon as i was talking to you the next day Chang, it was like oh yeah like even just in the basic conversation we were just addressing all these plot holes that i knew that i just hadn't realized were just like oh yeah there was a really weird bunch of just like jumps and a lot of that stuff welcome to 1984 well it had it had a coked fueled feeling to me but <laughs> so like i know you really didn't like the fly, like the scene where she learned to fly i did like the scene where she learned to fly um, I loved the invisible jet scene, just like, a, you know, making up a, a version for how that thing happened. I was just like, cool. It's the invisible jet. Like, I like that that mm. is in this. So those were like the two moments that I dug quite a bit. I liked the fanny pack joke, but I was nervous going into it because I love Kristen Wiig, but I just didn't see how she was going to be Cheetah or what Cheetah was going to be like, or I hadn't seen uh, any pictures. Turns out all she has to do is channel Selena Kyle. I think she did a, a fantastic job. Like yeah. all things considered, I think I, I liked her character beforehand. She was funny and Kristen Wiig esque, and then when she became badass, she was believably badass. Mm -hmm. Even yeah, yeah, but the mechanics of the whole movie are just a just a gosh darn uh, train wreck, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd like to see Kristen Wiig as Cheetah in a different Wonder Woman movie. How about a Suicide um, Squad movie? Would you settle for a Suicide Squad? Oh, <laughs> I don't wanna. I don't wanna. Yeah, this this is... It's weird, though, because I feel like... I mean, Gal Gadot, Gadot is great as Wonder Woman, but I feel like in the first movie, she was more inspiring as Wonder Woman. In, mm -hmm. in the second one, I was like, oh, well, okay, she's here. She's supposed to be inspiring here. And actually, one scene... 
and now I can see you could argue it either way, but when she's when they're along the speeding trucks and she does, and Wonder Woman does like the Indiana Jones thing, which is taken from earlier Western serials where she goes underneath the vehicle um, and then gets on between the vehicles and does the, the Linda Carter 70s Wonder Woman thing where she's being crushed between two things and pushing off against the two and trying to, it kind of ticked me off. I was like, oh, and Steve has to save her. I was like, well... Wonder mm-hmm. Woman should be doing all the saving here, not Steve. Well, though, she was losing like her powers. Steve. Yeah. At that point. Yeah. Which is a weird choice to have her lose her powers slowly over the course of an hour and 45 minutes. Yeah. Um, the yeah. thing that bothered me most, I think, like I can forgive a lot of those plot holes. And honestly, on this, on my second watch, I understood the rules of the wishing stone a lot better. Hmm. And there's only one thing that doesn't track for me anymore and that was that the kid wished and never got his wish fulfilled from his dad um but the the thing that bothered me the most was probably like the the choice to have steve trevor body snatch some dude and for them to like (laughs) immediately go to fucking and then she sees that guy at the end of the movie and he doesn't even look like he's pulled a muscle or anything and he's been around the world twice and had sex with wonder woman for like four hours straight and his, like his abs aren't tired. And uh, aside from just like the ethics of Steve and her using this guy's body and life for a few days. um, I didn't believe that his body would heal. Yeah. Yeah. That was a, that's a good point. (laughs) Strange decision on the writing part. It was just, it didn't seem like it was written by the same caliber. It was, it was a caliber level. I don't even really know what calibers are below (laughs) what the first movie was to me in in terms of like, just the writing structure of the whole movie. Yeah. That's the, and that's why I have to watch the first one again. Cause I did, I mean, I did like the action sequences better than in the first one. Um, the villains were both better than the villain in the first one. But then there's all these other... I feel like the same way about the Wonder Woman movies, Dow, as I did about the uh, Fantastic Four movies. Um, not the Roger Corman one or the one with... Uh, oh, God. What's Michael Cr- Chiklis. See, no, you the mean one, the ones the, with the Jessica one Alba and... The one with uh, the guy who played Creed in it. Yeah. Oh God! One. Yeah, okay. Michael B. Yeah, Jordan. Not that so one. not that one. Yeah, right, not right. that one. The the other two live action ones right. with the Welsh guy is Reed Richards. If you took all the good stuff from those two movies, put them in one movie, you have one good movie. And the same thing now with these two Wonder Woman movies. Yeah, that's my famous. Uh, I I know the Romans take on the two Fantastic Four movies. So there's enough good spots in the two movies that you could probably make one pretty dang good Fantastic Four movie in it, or at least a trailer. So I feel like. <laughs> early on in this movie i was like but this like i don't have super high hopes for this i i I liked it more than i thought i would but less than i hoped i would but i it did occur like this is a movie that was just it would have been better to see in a movie theater oh yeah yeah like a movie theater where you go in after a bunch of sushi and three beers and <laughs> sober up as you go like the comics place movie experience oh yeah yeah that's definitely true because i had to watch it on my laptop and i knew oh, i see? was missing you know a lot of the experience a lot and, of base uh, also and our friend jay was having a hard time streaming on, on the app for some reason she was like we could always watch it on our phone but we'd rather not and i was like there are people who are going to watch this on their phone yeah 
And I just think that it is interesting how much better that movie could have been by being in a movie theater. And yeah. are we going to have, like, what, what do we think movie theaters are going to look like coming out of this pandemic with all these different theaters? Um, but what occurred to me is that like, generally my favorite movies are movies that don't seem to really be benefited from being in a movie theater. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think Django, you are probably the opposite of me. Well, you like both, but you love I like it all. But I love the the like the the teeth rattling bass in a movie theater, and I, I like to feel the sun of the Lone Ranger movie on my face when I'm watching it. Um, mm. Quite a bit. I really like a theater experience. But even that, like that, would take this. That would give it. A, that, that would that would move this Wonder Woman like up one full letter grade. I can't imagine it would do better than that. And it that's still like a low B for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tops. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, a low B. Because yeah, I, I was looking forward to seeing the scenes of her like lassoing thunder lightning bolts and stuff on the big screen and feeling that bass. That would have been really cool. I, <laughs> I know that the lightning bolt thing is stupid, but I love it. <laughs> oh yeah, totally stupid. But it, it's great, cheesy, mythic mythic bullshit i have to knock out Roman all the cameras just said mythic bullshit <laughs> <laughs> i have to knock out all the security cameras and tell these kids not to tell future bruce wayne so the next movie makes sense <laughs> yeah that's a tough spot the whole time different times yeah i miss movie theaters you guys it's gonna be really interesting coming what, out of what, it all Weird. Bef- before we get out of here, I'm going to mention that this will go up on Monday. We'll be doing our book club that Monday, but the following Monday, our own William Elmer, who had made that Facebook comment that Django quoted after having seen it because it was liked by Roman, the Facebook tree, we call it. <laughs> we'll be hosting a different version of our book club, basically to talk about Gideon Falls. The final issue of Gideon Falls came out this week. We did not talk about it on the podcast um, I haven't read it. I'm going to try and catch up with that. We figured we'd just leave it for that discussion. So if you want to be a part of that and you're listening to this podcast, uh, send us an email. We'll make sure you get a hold of that. Um, send that email to jeff at thecomicsplace.com. You can also use that email to send questions to this year podcast, questions that we're not going to get into today, even though we have a couple that we could for the sake of editing ease on the other end of this whole thing. Uh, <laughs> Django, what else we got? Uh, well, we got, we got a comic store. We sure do. We got a Batman in Quarantine podcast. We sure do. Um, you can, 208, where's that? that? 208, 208, 208. Two, oh, is that the episode we're on? Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't want a bit to get lost in the dust in the interim of a holiday out. It was close. And I know that you're just testing me. It's, it's uh, Idaho. Idaho. Is, yeah, some part of Idaho is 208. Okay. okay. Maybe even like all of Idaho. All of Idaho is 208. Wow. I love it. Yeah. That's it. Like we don't really have or do anything else. No, we're just still delivering. Still lumps. Podcasting. I won a championship in fantasy football. Oh, that's true. How many dollars did you win? $420. That's ironic. Don't you think? Isn't it? (laughs) Okay. Before this derails into absolute, just useless uh, baloney. uh, Thank you all for listening. We'll see you all for 209 next week. As always, I'm Jeff. I'm Django, the baloney knocker. I'm Roman, the pastrami pounder. Ooh, bud. 
You should have seen his face get bummed as he was saying it. <laughs> yeah. I can't get out of it. Strangler. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>